Hello, everybody, and Hello. welcome to Anime is for Jerks. My name is Cass. I'm Alex. And this month, we are talking about the film Grave of the Fireflies, directed by Isao Takahata and produced by Studio Ghibli. Uh, this is the second time I've been nervous coming into one of these episodes. Really? Yeah. The first time was when I was, when, during the Penguin Highway episode, when I was right. Carlo Aureliano Buendia facing the firing squad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, why are you why are you nervous this time? Cause I don't Cause we're a fucking stupid joke comedy anime podcast and this is the saddest movie ever made. Right. Uh <laughs> Yeah, I don't I, I hadn't seen it in a in a long time and I forgot just how sad it was. I had never seen it before. Uh yeah, it's it's fucking bleak. I actually I actually didn't cry. You didn't cry. I didn't cry uh, either, but... Well, you never cry. But I sometimes yeah. cry. Uh, yeah, I think I actually expect it to be more kind of viscerally upsetting. Yeah, no, it's not an upsetting uh, film. That really. Just, it's just grindingly sad. Yeah. And, yeah, what struck me... Yeah. So going into it, yeah, I expected it just to be kind of relentlessly brutal but instead I, kind of what struck me most was just how good of a movie it is it's a very good movie just ha- like it's so well made yeah it like it's brilliant it's a fucking great movie uh, so yeah i guess i guess we should talk about what happens in this movie uh so it's a movie about world war ii uh it's a movie about the end of world war ii or like the last the last several months of world war ii uh, and it's about a, a boy named Seta, um, who is, uh, I believe from Kobe. And, um, and the movie is set largely in Kobe and, like, sort of the surrounding area. And it's, it's based on a short story of the same name, which is based on actual things that happened to the guy who wrote that short story. Yeah, I actually didn't realize that until just a moment ago. Yeah. Um, so. So yes, so this movie begins with the protagonist dying, which is a, a, a I forgot that it opened like that. I've I oh, yeah. I completely forgot that it opened with just you know, it's September twenty first, nineteen forty five. I'm dead, right? Um, and then so it, it's 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 a shows this like teenage boy starving to death in a train station, holding a can of a very rusted up can of fruit drops. Uh, and then it sort of fa- it sort of like blends that with a sort of flashback to uh, just before the firebombing of Kobe. And well, yeah. So yeah, um, yeah. There there are periodic kind of transitions between past and well present in a sense. So when yeah when Saita dies. Um, you see, like, the ghost of his sister, sister, uh, Setsuko. So, therefore, it also basically tells you that she dies as well. Yes. And, and then, kind of, uh, she kind of brings him outside of the train station, and they kind of take, he takes her hand, and they, and they walk to, um, well, they get on a train, and, yeah. and, and essentially start kind of, kind of 
traveling through their own past. Yeah, they take the train back in time. And every so often, uh, the film will cut back to their ghosts. And I think it's always, the transition always takes place around a death. Yeah. But um, before we get to that, yeah, the... um, when the like the, the after he dies and and after they get on the train, we start back at the start yes. at the firebombing yes. of Kobe, where he and Setsuko are separated from their mother. Yes, their mom goes to hide in a bomb shelter, and um, Seta is burying some uh, some stuff, some like supplies in a hole in their yeah, backyard. F- yeah, food supplies, um, and so he sa- he tells the mom to go to go on ahead and they'll catch up because he has to carry Setsuko. Yeah. And then, but by the time they get out, uh, the, the bombing started and they can't make it to the shelter. Yeah. And so they're just running around. Stuff is catching on fire. It's horrible. Um, and eventually the, the bomb stop. The entire town is, is burning to the ground. Uh, and they meet up with, uh, a bunch of other people, uh, who tell them that, they should go to the school uh, because uh, it's been turned into a hospital. Um, and and Setsuko has like some like mild eye irritation, which they need to get treated, which is why they go initially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they go there and they're, they meet somebody that they know who then is like, oh, your mom is in the hospital. You should go see her. Um, and so Seta leaves Setsuko with this this lady, Wikipedia says she's a, a distant aunt, uh, and they do call her aunt at some point. That woman um, is her aunt, not the no, not that woman. The other woman that they go to stay with. That woman. Oh, is that oh, that's not the same woman. No, they're not the same woman. Okay. Yeah, the other woman is their aunt. Yes. Oh right, oh, she's because she's already in like the suburbs or wherever. Yeah, yeah, she's out in uh, 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 Fukui, I believe. Gotcha. Uh, so yeah, so this so. Uh, Santa leaves uh, Setsuko with this with this lady, this like neighbor lady, and he goes in, um, and they they take him over to where his mom is, and her mom is just like completely wrapped in bandages. Uh, their their mom is just completely wrapped in bandages, uh, has been severely burned, uh, and they're like she should really be at a hospital, um, and we're gonna try to bring her to like the nearest not disintegrated hospital. Yeah. Uh, but she, she dies before that can happen. Yeah. Um yeah, she dies very soon very soon after that. Uh and this, so they have to go and live with this aunt character who they're they, they know, oh, we have this relative. I think um, the only relative who they whose address they even know. Yeah, yeah, because they have other relatives. Uh, in, they talk about how they have other relatives in Tokyo, but they don't know how to contact yeah. them. And of course they couldn't ask their dad because he's a naval officer. Yes. Uh and so we only ever see the dad through flashbacks. Yeah, we see him in photos uh, and we see him in flashbacks. Um, and yeah, he's a he's a soldier on the the Japanese battleship Maya. Uh, so yeah, so Saita um, took some of his mother's ashes with him. Well, I mean they were burned in a a mass grave, so they're not necessarily her ashes even. Does uh, he? And he that's his that's the box that he carries with him. The box that he carries with him? No? I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, so, like, um, remember when he first comes to the aunt's house, he puts the box out in the yard before entering. 
Uh, I have no memory then, of any of this. I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, how interesting. Um, yeah, he has a he has a wooden box with with ashes in it. Um. Uh, okay. Yeah, I have definitely no memory yeah. of that. I and he leaves it outside. I thought you were talking about the can of free drops. No, no. And he leaves it outside in the yard because he doesn't want to tell Setsuko that yes. uh, her mother is dead, and he conceals the truth from her as long as uh, he can. Yeah, and he does this and, in an incredible way at the beginning of the movie when he he walks out. This is this is one of two times during this movie that I laughed. Uh, when he he walks out of the school, his mom has just died. And he goes to, to Setsuko, who knows that something's up, and he, he makes a decision to lie to her and not tell her that their mom is dead. Right. And then to distract her from the horrible oh, stuff, yeah. he then goes over to a pull-up bar and just does flips on it <laughs> yes. for a while. The other time that I laughed was later on when he uh, when Seta, like steals all of the clothes during the raid. And yeah. he just has them all like under his thing, and he's just like... <laughs> right. a, I, I just look at him as high as a big chungus right there. He, he's, he's just he's just laughing. He's losing his mind. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's 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 an incredible scene. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, you you get your first kind of um, indication of what this aunt is like when uh, he hasn't told her yet, and so he comes home, and then she's like, "Oh, um, we should go visit your mother. How's she doing?" and uh, she sees his face. She's like, well, "Is it that bad?" He's like, "She's dead. She died before we even came yeah, here." Yeah, because initially, because initially, what happens is is that she lies to Seta lies to both of them and says that she's at a hospital. And then when he's alone with the aunt, um, and apparently the aunt doesn't doesn't have a name because uh, it just the the synopsis of Wikipedia just refers to her as the aunt. The horrible aunt, and so yeah. So when she tell, so he, when he tells her that, she, she goes, "Dead? How awful!" <laughs> and then just like that's it. <laughs> and I'm like, so she, and then she, she just gets worse from there. Yeah. So she decides uh, to sell uh, all of their mom's kimonos to buy rice. Yeah. Um. And uh, and at first, Saita is like super relieved because they have rice again uh but then like she takes half of it yeah and, and Sets- setsuko is immediately like don't sell our kimonos those are, those yeah, are moms yeah. um and um yeah and then then say and afterwards yeah she starts going on about how like ungrateful they are for like uh or at least how uncle site is for not uh doing any work to not to, doing enough like, imperialism not doing enough imperialism to bring in the rice and he's like it's our rice. <laughs> we sold our kimonos for it. Uh, um, yeah, because there's a there's a conversation a little earlier where she's like, "Shouldn't you be at school or work or something?" And he's like, "The school that I went to burned down, and so did the factory that I worked at." Yeah, and he's trying to he's like he's trying to like fucking keep Setsuko alive. Yeah, like he like he doesn't want to just leave her at this house. And so, like, the first, like, half or so of the movie is kind of interspersed with um, kind of nice, peaceful sequences between him and Setsuko. They go to the beach. They go chasing fireflies. Yeah. Uh, because he's just, he's trying to give her as normal a life as possible. And he can't do that if he's working all day. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, the aunt 
doesn't care and makes their lives increasingly miserable until they uh yeah she calls him a lazy slug uh you're old enough to know everyone has to cooperate when you you were like halfway through saying lazy slug and i was remembering this happening but then my brain was like when did she call him a lazy slut (laughs) oh no why would she call him that she does not call him a lazy slut uh and so and so yeah so that's kind of what makes this like uh, we've talked before at least i remember in the podcast for place for the universe about kind of uh in that in that show there's a a bit about where they're complaining that japan got a really shitty parcel of antarctica to uh for their research they they were complaining. I think it's it, it was actually that that Japan was not allowed to build to like to to build like official government outposts in Antarctica because of all oh, of the okay. imperialism they did during World War Two. Yeah, uh, and yeah, and we were yeah. we were joking about in in that episode about like you know like you kind of deserved it like a little bit. You did you did do some fucked up shit. But yeah, this movie does not. Uh gloss over kind of japan's own imperialism at all oh no i don't um like like oh yeah all the yeah. adults around him are the war warmongers uh essentially yeah and especially like the aunt who is his is sort of portrayed as being you know a pretty terrible person uh um, yeah. is is the most nationalistic character in the game in the game yeah. in, in yeah. the movie <laughs> At one point, yeah, he's playing piano for Setsuko, and she comes. She walks by the window. She's like, "Don't you realize there's a war going on?" <laughs> she's like, "This just, bitch, just shut up." <laughs> and I, I, that's I, that's about when they say "fuck this" yeah. and leave the aunt's house. Yeah, because they they get into a fight over food, um, and then they're like, "Well, fine, we'll just take our half of the rice." Uh, and, and then, then yeah. and, we, and we won't and won't cook it anymore. And then they um, they buy a stove and start cooking their own rice outside. Yeah. Is that uh, when he? Is that after the first time he goes to Tokyo and withdraws some of his mother's money? Oh, is that in Tokyo? Well, it, I don't know because yeah, I'm I'm not sure about the logistics of. Yeah, I'm not sure where um, that is. At some point, he goes and withdraws his mother's money, and at some point later on in the movie, he'll go and withdraw more. Yeah, yeah, I think that's after the. I think that's that's why he withdraws money the first time is to buy the stove. Yeah, to, yeah, to buy, they're about to buy the stove, to buy the supplies, and then they uh, they find this kind of it's an abandoned bomb shelter. Oh, it's oh, it's an abandoned bomb shelter uh, yeah. by the river, and and they're just like, let's fucking live here, and. Uh, uh, yeah, because so they, 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 they start cooking their own food with their own rice, uh, yeah. and and then the aunt is still unsatisfied with this because they don't do that. They they elected to leave the dishes in the sink. Oh, right, uh, and, and and Setsuko is crying um, over her mother not being there. Yeah, and she's like, "My daughter and a husband are working for the poor, and how can they?" sleep with this crying but they're not her daughter and husband they're other relatives of hers oh right right yeah. right because right. they're both pretty young they're both like and so age. they borrow a wagon and pile their stuff and then uh aunt is like what's all this they're like we're we're, we're leaving she's like oh it sucks goodbye. and we're hitting the bricks <laughs> yeah and you and for a moment there like there's a pause and you wonder if she's gonna have like a moment of remorse but nope <laughs> she 
You know, I, I, like, was, I wasn't wondering if she was going to have a moment of remorse. I was wondering. So the thing that I thought that they had maybe had done was that they had stolen stuff from her. Uh, uh, which they they didn't do, but that was that was initially which, what I which they do which they do later. But they we'll stole they steal stuff from other people, but not, I don't think from her specifically. Ah, uh, oh, I was I thought they stole from her later on. Uh, I don't know if there's enough information to okay, conclude that fair. the houses that they're stealing from are hers. I think they just steal from yeah. random houses. Uh, well, I think there's. I, we'll, we'll get to it, but I think yeah. I think anyway. Um, so they leave and, and make their little make their little camp in the bomb shelter, and it's so dark that Setsuko is afraid, and so he they they catch fireflies and bring them into the bring them in around like under the bug net, and so they fill the fill the house with fireflies, and we we had, like they had they had gone like chasing fireflies earlier, uh, when. Was this when he brought her out because she was crying or a different? I think it was a different time. Uh, but he's trying to distract her. And so he catches a firefly and shows it to her. And then she takes it and kills it uh, because she doesn't, <laughs> she, she squeezes it too hard. Um, and this time you, so when they're catching fireflies for their house, you know what's going to happen. Uh, they fill the house with fireflies and in the morning they're all dead. Yeah. And then uh, Setsuko Seto wakes up and Setsuko is like digging a grave for the fireflies, the titular grave for the fireflies. And she says, yeah, they need a grave like like Mama does. And then she tells Saito that the aunt told her that their mother is dead. Yeah. So So I think that's the first time Saito cries. Is it? So now things are starting to get a little desperate. Yeah, um, Seta starts stealing food from farmers, and then during yeah. during air raids, uh, he he steals from houses when everybody's in, in the shelters. Yeah, I, like yeah, it starts. Yeah, they, they they take they dive into a like a a tomato field when they're a raid, and then he sees it like just this juicy red tomato sitting in front of him. And can't help himself from eating it, uh, but then he's then when he's uh, kind of washing Setsuko, he finds this rash on her. And so he tries. So he tries to steal some sugar, yeah, for her, and then gets caught by a farmer and taken to the cops. The cop, uh, yeah. and yeah, and for any of you taking taking a issue with the a cab uh slogan here here's your one good cop the one good cop they found him uh, and they put him in a little wooden box in the middle of nowhere in japan <laughs> so yeah the farmer is beating the shit out of uh saita and drags him over there and the cop's like all right well this seems pretty open and shut case um i'll i'll, I'll take it from here and the farmer's like but 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 and the cop's like you know You've 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 really beaten the uh, shit out of this you've guy. You've roughed him up enough. You know this could this could even be assault, and and, sh- and clears the farmer off and gives uh, Saito some water. But uh, that doesn't help feed Setsuko, so he has to keep so Saito has to keep stealing. And yeah, he starts he starts stealing from houses during air raids. Uh, and I, the reason I think that he steals from the evil aunt's house is 
he goes into a a bedroom, steals some kimonos, uh, and tries to sell them. And a those woman, could be anybody's the, kimonos. Well, the woman says, "You say these were your mother's." Uh, get the get the shit out of here. So I so what I think happened was that evil aunt never sold them. Uh, she kept them for herself. I don't think that at all. I thought that what that, that scene was saying was that these kimonos were garbage. Oh, uh, and that nobody nobody cares about or wants these kimonos, and that or that she just sort of saw through this ludicrous ruse. Uh, um, I didn't interpret that as necessarily because why would anybody else know that? Yeah, I suppose. You know, why would anybody else know that this this aunt lady had a drawer full of kimonos? Yeah, you're probably uh, right. Yeah, I mean, like that's plausible, but like I feel like if that were the case, then it would have been more. They would have made it a little more visually obvious that the house that he was stealing from was uh, yeah. the how it was his his aunt's house. Uh, I could be wrong, but no, I mean, yeah, uh, it, I I think I assumed, but. Um, and you assume the reverse, and I don't think either. <laughs> I don't think there's decisive yeah. evidence either way. Um. So, but uh, Setsuko, uh, like her rash doesn't get better, and she starts falling ill. So he takes her to a doctor, and and the doctor's like, like, "I can't." Can't do you anything. give her? Yeah, he's like, "Can't you give her medicine or a shot or anything?" He's like, medicine, all this child needs is food. And he's like, where the fuck do I get food? Um, yeah, and so then and, he leaves. Um, and so he goes to get the rest of the money from his mother's bank account. Uh, and then learns that Japan has lost World War II. Yeah, so what? So one thing that like, I wondered when I was watching it, it was like, why he hadn't withdrawn the money earlier. Was it just because he didn't want to leave Setsuko alone? I think it was just because it's a lot of money and he would rather leave it in the bank and not spend it unless he has to. I guess so. Um, you know, it's sort of a last resort. It's his, it's his inheritance, you know? Like, ideally, yeah. he would want to keep it until after the war and use it to, like, make right. something of himself once things yeah. have settled down. But instead, I, he has to use it to survive. Yeah. Well, I guess I, I guess it felt like things had gotten to a... Like, he left it a little late. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, and then and then yeah, all this time the war has, like, and this whole time the war's ended and they didn't even know. Yeah, it, 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 I, uh, it's been like a. I get the sense it's been like a month or a few, like uh, at least a month, maybe a right. couple months since the war has ended. Uh, and so yeah, while he was at the aunt's house, he had re- he had written to his father. Uh, yeah. Letting him know what was going on and never heard back. Yeah, and specifically letting him know that his mother, that his wife had died. Right, and so yeah, at the bank, he overhears that Japan has surrendered, and he's like, but "What about like what the navy?" And and there's a, like, the line when it, when he learns when Japan has surrendered is amazing because the guy says because he's like going and collecting some money. I think that the government that like the government is like giving out or something like that. He's going into collecting some sort of some sort of government benefit, and he says it's only now that we've lost the war that we get our divine wind. Um, oh, that! Oh, uh, that's what he meant. Yes, because in yes, because in uh, in Japanese, divine wind is kamikaze. Yeah. Uh, the suicide bombing planes. That I feel. I assume that everybody knows what a kamikaze is. Just in case. Yeah. But yeah, so he goes. He withdraws the money. He buys a bunch of food. 
he buys a watermelon, he buys chicken, he buys rice, he buys all sorts of stuff. And he goes back to their, to the shelter, uh, and Setsuko is there, and she's like, have this rice ball, and holds up a rock. For, for, well, first he, first he, uh, sees her holding the little, like, uh, fruit drop. Tin. Oh, yes, and it's full of marbles, and, then, and she's eating the marbles. It, right, because he knows it's been empty for a while, and so, yeah, he finds that she's, like, trying, like, sucking on a marble, <laughs> and then, yeah, she offers him her, her little, her little onigiri that are just rocks. Yeah. And he cuts her a watermelon and feeds it to her, and he's like, okay, eat the rest, I'm gonna go make you some real food. Uh, and then he gives her the watermelon, and she just lies there holding the watermelon, or like with it on her chest, uh, and then she dies. And... And then we get... Um, then we get... Yeah, so we get like this montage of uh, her sort of running around and... Uh, and and playing outside the shelter, um, you know, or like all her alone, ghost, which all thought, alone, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Uh, oh, because it's her ghost. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because it's all like, or it's it's yeah, because she sort of like fades in and out like a like like a specter. Yeah. And then we get yeah. the world's worst like funeral practitioner, where this dude, oh god, where he like goes yeah. to like buy like stuff to like perform like to, like build build a funeral pyre, and this guy is just stoked, like he's having a great day. <laughs> Like, he's, he's just, and I'm like, and, and he's just like, the body should be lightly dressed. Use beanstalks for a good fire. You know, since it's a child, you should do it at a temple. Uh, and it's like, dude, yeah, stop. He cannot read the, he cannot read the fucking room. Yeah, stop smiling. <laughs> he's like, it's a beautiful day in spite of everything. Uh, uh, and then, yeah. And as he's walking back, like, you see all like the rich fucks coming back from wherever they were, uh, like, sh- like hiding out during the war yeah uh, like it's oh it's lovely to be back they're airing out their their houses and uh in their little summer dresses and just across the river there's the bomb shelter where yeah uh, yeah and there's just across the river is is Santa building the funeral fire uh and and so yeah uh it, yeah so he he burns her and then yeah um, he takes her ashes and puts them in the fruit drop tin. And then do we cut to yeah. the scene of him looking over Kobe? Yes, yes. We cut to his his ghost looking over modern day Kobe. Or 1988 Kobe. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of the last of the like the transitions. Um, yeah. Between like the ghosts and the past. So obviously the first one is when Saito dies, and then uh, the ghosts get on the train. The next one is when he's carrying his mother's ashes on the train out to the aunt's house, and it kind of it kind of pulls the camera pulls back from where he's sitting to where his ghost is sitting, watching him with uh, Setsuko sleeping on his lap. Then, well, the next transition is when uh like the aunt takes the kimonos to sell and setsuko is screaming to bring them back and so that's not that's not as that doesn't quite follow the pattern of like being a death but the next and the next one is an air raid which is um but 
The last two are when Setsuko buries the fireflies, and we get instead of their ghosts, we get a like a cut to uh, like some children playing around the abandoned bomb shelter and finding Setsuko's grave. And then the last one is when he buries Set- when he burns Setsuko, and then. So their two, and then we cut to their two ghosts finally reunited. Hmm. So, uh, so what do you think about this movie? I mean, it's it's incredible. Uh, what do you? I. Because uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like hard to know what to say. Uh, uh, the thing that I think about a lot when I think about this movie is that old line about how there's no such thing as an anti-war film. Uh, um. And and there's there's a bit on the on the Wikipedia article where it talks about like people analyzing this as an anti-war film and uh, Takahata saying it's not an anti-war anime and contains absolutely no such me- no such message. Um, but also Takahata himself is is anti-war in his politics. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, it is it is like so like it, it doesn't fit into the the categories of anti-war movies that quote is about. Um, because it's it's not really a movie about war itself. It's about people living in a place where war is happening. But right. for most of the movie, war isn't directly where they are. You know, right. it is the sort of consequences of war that they're dealing with, not but I mean, direct fighting. Yeah, in a, in a sense, that's how you make an anti-war yeah. movie. Because, like, like I um, like I think the best example of like. An anti-war film that's not an anti-war film is Apocalypse Now. Oh yeah, I mean like, yeah. If this were the Matrix episode, I could bust out the uh, uh, my copy of Simulacrum Simulation and read the essay in there about Apocalypse Now. Yeah, like it, like Apocalypse Now, like it, like yeah. I remember the the I remember you, there used to be a quote on Wikipedia from Baudrillard uh, yeah, yeah. that I think got removed about how like Apocalypse Now kind of is an extension of the Vietnam War itself and, like, reflects reflects it in the kind of every way. Yeah. Because, like, it's... It both kind of represents, but also revels in the brutality. Yeah. Um, Whenever I think about and, Apocalypse Now, I think about this story that my dad told me about a guy that he lived with when he was, when he was younger. Uh, my dad was in the military for 20 years. Um, and... He, when he was in the, near the end of his time in the military, he lived in an apartment um, in Buffalo, New York, with this guy um, who was also in the military. And this guy would, uh, many evenings, would build like a pillow fort. Uh, oh, and I think I've, I've yeah, told this story before, but he would build like a pillow fort and then hide in it, wearing like his his army gear and with his gun. And watch Apocalypse Now incredibly loudly, like just like like room shakingly loudly. Uh, and then at a, at a, there is a different incident in which this guy, uh, like there were some girls that they were kind of friendly with who lived in the apartment complex, and uh-huh. they did something to get on this guy's nerves. Uh, and so what he did was he commando crawled out of their apartment all the way out into the parking lot and slashed their tires. Jesus Christ. That's what I think about whenever I think about Apocalypse Now, is that that guy liked it. <laughs> yeah, like, because, yeah, because there's, yeah, like, it's, 
almost unavoidable in representing war like that. It makes to, it look and, fucking cool. To, yeah, right, exactly. And so and so that's why this is such a powerful film is because it refuses to do that and instead looks at the like the real victims uh, which are like, yeah, like these yeah. innocent children. Uh, and uh, yeah, I forget it's not the Wikipedia, but it was some it was some blurb that was talking about how yeah they become ghosts because like they're left to die with literally not one fucking person trying to help them. Yeah, and I mean like uh, like the the end shot of their ghosts looking over modern day Kobe is like like they are because because in in reading about like what what takahata and uh nosaka the original uh akiyuki nosaka the original author of the short story what they had to say about the movie and what they had to say about about the story and like takahata was in was interested in producing it and like the the reason why he made it was because he he saw like he wanted to because most anime is watched by you know kids and teenagers and he thought that like when people see stories about war, they don't. They think about it as as some sort of past, or possibly even more noble time in the past that they are not a part of. And what he wanted to do was he wanted to make a war story about children, and especially children who resemble the children of of you know the eighties, um, because he he wanted these kids to see themselves in them and be able to relate to this and understand that these struggles are not so foreign to their lives that they couldn't possibly happen again. Um, and, uh, I, 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 I don't remember. I was on one of the Wikipedia articles either for the short story or for the movie, but I remember reading about, um, like the fact that, that, um, Seta is kind of an unusual, um, war child, wartime child because his dad is a soldier and so he, and they comment on this early in the movie, which is that he has access to supplies uh, and, like, a sort of amount of food and sort of things that other people don't get. Um, yeah. In a way that makes, and 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 that means that as, as the story goes on, like, he is less used to the idea of having to survive without those things. And, and, mm. and is therefore more similar to sort of contemporary Japanese children than he is to other uh, children from, you know, during World War II. Right, right. Yeah, and, and so, and so, yeah, I'm looking over Kobe, present-day Kobe's, yeah, put kind of like what you said of kind of connecting these children to the present. And maybe also more generally just kind of representing that kind that that uh like the legacy of the war is still something that's kind of needs to be reckoned with yeah because yeah I, I, when i was first when it, it neither be like in the first half of the movie i was i i hadn't quite kind of uh nailed down what the function of of the ghosts were in the story that's why that's why i was kind of noting down where those transitions occur yeah to try and parse it out and um is there anything is there any other kind of aspect to it yeah i mean so i mean i love ghosts uh i love ghosts in stories and i love ghosts as metaphors because what a ghost is is it's a thing from the past that's still around in the present 
and yeah. and specifically it's usually a mistake from the past you know it is a ghost is a metaphor for the things that we have to deal with now that were caused by the mistakes people made in the past um you know and like any like everywhere on earth now is is you know even though this is a very specific story and that it's about a very specific place in japan a very specific experience you know it's it's you know semi-autobiographical in a lot of ways for the author of the original short story but it's it has this sort of universal appeal and universal power as an anti-war story because i think every country on earth has to contend with this everywhere on earth has to contend with the ghosts of specifically war of specifically you know having done things that were bad either in the name of something that was good or in the name of something that was also bad right yeah like the the um and it, like another yes another kind of reason why the movie does not focus at all on the actual war or the soldiers is because like it doesn't really matter what they're doing whether they're justified or not what what we're concerned with right now is the, the destruction that it has on on the children yeah it's 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 what makes it really effective in, in an anti-war film as an anti-war film is that it doesn't it doesn't, like, hand-ring about, like, oh, well, this was necessary. Oh, well, you know, this war was bad, but there's some hypothetical just war. And it considers, like, just in in the absence of, like, what are the justifications for this war? What are, why are we fighting? What is any of this? It doesn't really care about any of those things. Right. And that's in part because it knows the justifications are bad, you know. Um, but also, it's just, like, it doesn't matter. This still is garbage. Right. And so, yeah, and so no, yeah, and so no matter what your take on on the war, you still have to contend with the ghosts, yeah, of of the children killed by that war. Yeah, and 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 I think it's especially relevant, you know. And I I don't know much about like the sort of national political situation of Japan in the late eighties, but certainly now, you know, Japan is. You know, Shinzo Abe recently stepped down, but Shinzo Abe and, you know, the party that he's from and the people he associates with are, you know, people who in a lot of ways have forgotten or been able to ignore those ghosts. You know, yeah. these are people yeah. who, you know, support revising Article 9 of the Japanese Constitution, which is the one that prevents Japan, that makes it illegal for Japan to use war as a means of, like, dealing with international problems. Uh-huh. And are, yeah, and, and are just kind of virulently virulently nationalist in other yeah. respects. You know, and it it is. I think a lot of people, especially people like like Takahata, who are old enough to remember the war. Um, yeah. You know, and and people uh, like Nasaka, who are old enough to remember the war, although Nasaka's dead. But um, Takahata's dead actually as well. Um, but you know, people who are old enough um, to remember those those mistakes like looking at younger people who don't remember those those mistakes because yeah and this is a, a big difference between japan and, and the u.s is that you know there's nobody in the u.s who is old enough to remember a war that we lost well the vietnam war but a war that we yeah. were the war, a war that we lost and then all told ourselves we lost and, and actually right. faced consequences right. for losing um, when's the last time when, when's the last time that actually happened in the to the u.s 1812 
Right. You know, like, like the Vietnam War. Yeah, we lost the Vietnam War, but what did that mean? You know, a bunch of dead soldiers. Sure. Nobody cares. Um, you know, like nobody in the U.S. cares about, no matter how much they say they do, they don't care about anybody who died in the Vietnam War. You know, not the soldiers and certainly not any Vietnamese people. You know, whereas like when Japan lost World War II, that's, you know, it's a radical shift in the way their society was organized you know, mm-hmm. and a, a radical re-examination of whether or not the cause that they were fighting for was just, and a radical re-examination of their own nationalism, you know, um, yeah. in yeah. a way that the United States has not had to reckon with in any living person's lifetime. You know, like, we we continue, we, we have in the past and continue to do incredibly fucked up shit in wars, and also not in wars, um, but... Just, just across the board. But we are very good at not examining any of it yeah um yeah um yeah here's the 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 line from the the wikipedia article on the short story which says um we're talking about uh nasaka he added he added that he wished to play seta the main character in an idealized situation nasaka said that he himself invented such a scenario until 14 and then had to grow up very quickly becoming worse off than the other children um Mm. so yeah that yeah so so seta's kind of sudden uh kind of loss of status yeah mirrors that loss of status that japan had yeah post-war yeah this this loss of status is reckoning in this um you you because I, I and i think that that more connects with what the thing that i was saying earlier about you know takahata wanting this to be a story that like young people could relate to mm. could imagine themselves in Santa's place and I think it's definitely mm. easier to imagine yourself mm-hmm. in, in Seta's place than it is to imagine yourself in the place of a lot of war, war movie protagonists. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, is uh, is the best movie watch going to be the shortest episode we record? Yeah, like I don't, I don't know. The, the other thing about this movie is that it's very short. It's like right. it's eighty nine minutes. Um, you know, it's, same as Ghost in the Shell. <laughs> Same as what? We we managed to bring a Bible passage out of that. Come yeah. on. Uh, oh yeah, we did talk for quite a while about yeah. Ghost in the Shell. Yeah, yeah go listen uh, to our Ghost in the Shell episode. And, um, get, get your Bible fix. Sorry, what were you saying? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I feel because I, I do feel like there's a lot to talk about, but also I feel like it's it's a lot of it is sort of historically contextual in a way that I'm not prepared for. Yeah, and they, and they, like, and like I was like I was saying before, like, when I, like when I was watching it, kind of like, instead of being kind of uh, immediately struck, kind of by, by kind of like a visceral kind of emotional spots, I was immediately struck just by the technical brilliance of the film. Oh yeah, and so I took I took little notes on kind of these minor these minor things, um, like how they. How that he transitions, like there's a um, point of Setsuko crying about the the kimonos, and then act like the it actually cuts in the middle of her crying to the dinner scene when they're eating the rice that, that oh, they yeah, got that from the kimonos. Like as well, it's a really good cut. And yeah, all these little all these little things, and so we could talk. Yeah, like I could probably if I like watching it. In, I could probably talk for another couple hours about kind of these micro moments, but for the thing as a whole, it's, yeah. It, it, it was just like, 
it's a movie. It's 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 it reminds me a lot of Akira in that it's a movie that was made, but even even more so than Akira, it's a movie that was made in a period when Japan had more money than it has ever or will ever have, and right. by the greatest animation house to ever come out of the country, that country. You know, yeah. like like even yeah. even today, you know, when Japan has a lot less money, Ghibli they're just their animation is just they have maintained this this incredible level of quality to their animation this incredible like just detail like the scene and i don't know why it was this scene in particular that struck me but the scene where um uh setsuko and seta go to the beach and setsuko is seta like takes his shirt off and goes in the ocean and is like come on setsuko and then setsuko like gets out of her dress and goes to the ocean and i'm just like in any other movie or tv show that would have been a cut but instead, they they bothered to animate her like taking the dress off. Oh yeah, yeah, take off her, off her little like her little kind of pants as yeah. well. It was yeah, it was so like yeah, just like was, drawing that scene out. Yeah, it was so deliberate and just like like this and sort so of beautifully rendered this sort of detail that you would just never see anywhere else. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. A number of times, it struck like it, it struck me was that. I don't that don't it doesn't usually strike me watching anime just like the and it like animating like expressions and like physical like physical movement in in like the, her take her yeah her taking off her taking off her her little dress uh when she is yeah pulling her little purse uh out of her out of the front of her um, smock. Yeah, there were so just many minor scenes things that were so. That when I watched yes. them, I was just like, "That must have been a pain in the ass." <laughs> yeah, that must have yeah. sucked to draw that. And 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 like, kind of the, the cinematography too. Like yeah. the, like the, the the scene that made you bust out laughing, where he's doing spins on the on the pull up bar, like the framing for that. Yeah. That shot was just brilliant. It's really great because it, it's both very funny and also like really uncomfortable and haunting. There's a lot yeah, of like negative yeah. space in the shots, like and and they're they're facing away from each other. Yeah. Like he they like they kind of he can't he can't deal with uh, like the grief, and so he it, like because he doesn't want to tell her, but he can't really put on a happy face like he just kind of leaves her where she is and goes and uh starts starts spinning yeah um yeah like that's the thing is that not it's it's a very strange thing to do in that situation and the fact that it doesn't work at all you know and he just keeps doing it for yeah, yeah. way longer than you would expect that scene to go <laughs> right, on. Right, 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 right. He just keeps doing it. Um, yeah, the, yeah. the last anime that kind of, like, I kind of had a very conscious, like, mid-conscious notes of its cinematography was actually a pretty crummy one. We've been wondering if we should watch, like, a, like an act, like an actually bad anime. Uh, this was called, this was My Hime, uh, is this weird quasi mech anime? Uh, pretty much like pretty much garbage, except it had some moments of like surprisingly good like shot composition. 
I'm looking at so, the, the Wikipedia article right now, uh, and I was I was wondering the, this movie looks weird to me. Like it, something about it looked off. Uh, uh-huh. And the thing that looks off is that the outlines for all of the characters are drawn in brown instead of black. Wait, which one are you looking at? Grave of the Fireflies. Oh, oh, interesting. I thought you were going to Hime for a second. No, <laughs> I was I was just thinking I was just thinking about the animation. Got it. Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, and like it, it, it contrasts a lot less well, and so there's a lot of, of scenes where like it just it just it's 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 strange. It, it makes the whole movie feel like it's out of focus or something, mm. um, but like not out of focus, but like the same sort of vibe that you get when you look at a pic, like a, a photograph or a, a video that's slightly out of focus, but without the obvious source of it being out of focus. Yeah. Sorry, I found this Polygon article about uh, Takahata, and there's just this gif of cutting the watermelon over and over that I'm just... I got mesmerized by for a second. Good. Uh. Uh, he says he... Apparently he hated that that shot with the watermelon, and so... Um, so this is when, he, when he decided to include another melon-cutting scene... Uh, in what became his final film, Tale of Princess Kaguya, he had his animation team bring knives into the studio. He demanded that the animators slice into melons again and again, learning with their own hands how quickly and in what way exactly the blade enters the fruit, grasping every detail before they would be allowed to finish animating. The completed scene is patient and purposeful. The melon cutting takes up only a few seconds. The film took eight years to make. I remember that fucking melon cutting scene from the Tale of the Princess Kaguya. That that he that he did his job. Yeah, I remember that. It is. It's a very deliberate melon cutting. Uh, but yeah, I might link, I might we might link the show notes about about kind of Takata's legacy and how much of an absolute nightmare he was to work with. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He like that's that's also the weird thing is that Takahata as like the sort of dark horse of of Ghibli. Right. Uh, right. You know, because like this is probably his most well known movie. Um. Uh, uh, out of, out of the, the Ghibli the Ghibli catalog and like you know his other the other stuff that he's done with with Ghibli is like you know the Tale of the Princess Kaguya which is definitely a B tier a B tier Ghibli and Pompoko which is like a a, a B tier Ghibli Tanuki testicles yeah so just a just a bunch of nuts jokes <laughs> uh, uh, the, let's see he, he has another like non comedy that's supposed to be very good which one is it. Uh, There's only yesterday and winter days. Yeah, only yesterday. Maybe we should watch that sometime. But maybe put it on the list. All right, I will. Uh, speaking of the list, though, uh, sh- well, do you have a book to recommend? I suppose I do. It's, um, I was trying to think of something that could I could even like remotely kind of link to this film, and I don't think there really is anything. Uh, so I'll just recommend kind of the most interesting book I read since our last podcast, which was Dust uh, by Ivan Ariambo Uor. Uh, it's about Kenya broadly, more specifically about um, this one family, and uh, begins with the death of the... Um, the son of the family and it primarily follows his sister Ajani as she tries to figure out 
how he died and and she hadn't seen him in in years and so she's trying to figure out like what happened what had been happening to him and what he'd been doing um between when she last saw him and when he died and it also connects to the father and his role in the um independence movement in the late 60s and 70s and how kind of the legacy of that kind of extremely imperfect revolution is still haunting Kenya uh, because it takes place in 2007 during uh, there was a contested election that ended up exploding into like ethnic violence and left like hundreds thousands of people dead um but yeah it's it, it, like the the way the book is written it's so interesting like it took me forever to finish it because it's like so kind of dense dense like densely poetic i want to say um so like the style is extremely interesting and like it wasn't a lot of the books I recommend are ones that like just like grabbed me so hard that I just like read through the whole thing. But this one took quite a while, but uh, it was so weird and so interesting. So it's Dust by Yvonne Ariamba Or. Alright, I warned you before this that my recommendations get really stupid. Hell yeah. Probably not for the reasons that you think, because so when we were. When, when was it that I said that I wanted to recommend The Great Gatsby, but I, I didn't. I, did, I couldn't. It was when we were watching, uh... Was it when we were watching Kiss on the Slope? Probably. I think so. I don't remember. That's, that sounds that sounds right. I don't I don't remember. Uh, but I really wanted to recommend The Good Gatsby, but I, I didn't because everybody there was The Good Gatsby. Uh, I'm about to recommend the book that everybody's already read, uh, which is... Uh, the, but it's the only thing that I can think of when I think about this movie, which is uh, Slaughterhouse-Five by Kurt Vonnegut. Uh-huh. Uh, so... Slaughterhouse-Five is one of my favorite books. I haven't read it in a while. I've been planning on rereading it recently, um, but I fucking love Slaughterhouse-Five. It is so good. Um, if you, perchance, have not read Slaughterhouse-Five, um, it is... So it's a... It's it's a book... So it's like a semi... It's like semi-semi-semi-autobiographical novel um, about uh, this guy named Billy Pilgrim who is a chaplain's assistant in World War II and hates war and is bad at fighting. Uh, and he... So, all right. It's, it's, it's a lot, because you can... You, it's fairly simple to explain <laughs> the book's plot chronologically, but that's not what the book is about. So, the first, the first chapter of this book is Kurt Vonnegut uh, as the author telling you about how he came to write this book, like, semi-fictionally. Uh, and then the second chapter begins the actual narrative. Um, and the, the, the book, I, if I recall correctly, the first line of the book is all this happened more or less, uh, <laughs> which is one of the, one of the great opening lines of a book. Um, and then, and then chapter two begins with, with another great opening line, which is, listen, Billy Pilgrim has come unstuck in time. Um, and so Billy Pilgrim has, he, it's, it's told like not, it's told in thir- third person, like by an, an, an omniscient narrator, but definitely f- sort of from his perspective or focusing on him. And for him, he experiences time non-linearly. Um, and so he is constantly jumping around from the past to the present to the future of his life. 
uh, and experiences things in a, in a in a sort of random and chaotic order, which is basically a metaphor for post traumatic stress disorder, um, mm-hmm. and 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 the experience of flashbacks, um, which post traumatic the name post traumatic stress disorder did not exist when the book was written, um, and and uh, so Kurt Vonnegut did fight in World War II. And like the protagonist of Slaughterhouse Five, he was captured by the Germans and then interned in uh, the basement of a slaughterhouse in Dresden. Um, and much like Billy Pilgrim, he was told by his guards and by the other prisoners that they were in a pretty safe place and that they should feel like they were lucky to be where they were because there was no reason for anybody to attract, attack Dresden. It had no strategic importance whatsoever. Um, and then... Uh, as many of you probably know, uh, Dresden was firebombed, and the whole city was basically completely destroyed. Um, and it's Slaughterhouse Five is 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 nothing like *Great with the Fireflies* because it's fucking hilarious. It is a very <laughs> very funny book. It is, but it's it's the, the, just the the darkest bl- blackest comedy that you can possibly that you could possibly imagine. It is a, it is a book about. Is, is first and foremost an anti-war novel. It is a book about how war is stupid. Um, and it's also a book about survivor's guilt, you know? Cause, and, and, and Billy Pilgrim is, is, Kurt Vonnegut did, did spend most of his time in, in Germany as a prisoner of war. But, um, you know, Billy Pilgrim sort of amps up that level of survival, for survival's guilt of like not having to kill anybody even further in that he was a chaplain's assistant and so would never have had to kill anybody anyway. Um, and, but nonetheless, he feels immensely guilty, uh, about what happened to him during World War II. Um, and that sort of brings in the other thing that the book uses its nonlinear plot to talk about, which is hard determinism. So, uh, and like the, specifically Billy Pilgrim developing a philosophy of, of determinism in order to absolve himself of any guilt. Um, and so he meets, he is abducted by toilet plunger shaped aliens called the Trophamadorians. Uh, <laughs> God, I, I, I've, I've read this ages ago, but I like, I forget the details. So <laughs> thank you for yeah. yeah he's abducted this by toilet plunger shaped aliens called the Trophamadorians who, uh, tell him about the, the, the Trophamadorian worldview, which is that Trophamadorians are fourth dimensional creatures. And so they don't see things the way that humans see them as like time happening, all like you know one moment after another but they can see all of existence all at once and can like scrub it back and forth like a quick time movie uh, <laughs> but like they, they see every they see everything at once um and he and and this is is sort of a way for billy pilgrim to to uh, to get out of his guilt um but the thing mm-hmm. that i think makes me think of of this in relation to uh go with the fireflies is that they're both stories about bombings and destruction and death in the Axis powers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the protagonist of Slaughterhouse-Five is an American, but Dresden is in Germany. Um, yeah. And it yeah, makes please. sort of no distinction that, like, this... Because the, the, the thing that people always talk about when they talk about, you know, stuff like the firebombing of Kobe, or especially when they talk about the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, is that they try to talk about, like, oh you know, these were necessary or they saved or they ultimately in the end saved lives because they made the war end quicker, which are of course completely unprovable, unjustifiable assertions right. um, that people just make in order to allow them to sleep at night. Um, and but Dresden yeah. didn't even have that justification. Yeah, Dresden was just some fucking place. 
Um, you know, it, it had it had nothing nothing in it, you know, that was of any strategic value. And and Kurt Vonnegut in real life and Billy Pilgrim in the book were one of the few people who survived the, the bombing because he was in the basement of the slaughterhouse being kept as a prisoner mm-hmm. of war. And then afterwards, both in real life and in the book, he is for he was forced to sort of clean up the burnt bodies uh, and rubble. Um, oh God. Yeah, there's there's ju- there's just so much to talk about. A lot happens in this uh, in, in this book. It's very it's very dense, but it's it's of like the postmodern novels, like the dense sort of nonlinear metatextual postmodern novels. Slaughterhouse Five is by far the most readable, you know. So it, it is fun to read because Kurt Vonnegut has the sort of writing sensibility of you know like a pulp sci-fi writer. Um, but he he's doing all of this just weird ambitious stuff. Um, but it, it, in a very funny way, like like the the the. Th- the, the one of the things about the firebombing of Dresden was that well, about the description of the firebombing of Dresden in the book that I remember the most is when he describes the faces of the German soldiers after they emerge from the slaughterhouse to see uh, what has to see like all of the destruction that he, he describes them as looking like a silent film of a barbershop quartet <laughs> which is a fucking hilarious description um, and it perfectly captures it. It perfectly captures exactly what they look like, you know. And there's just there's just so much more in 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 the book, you know. It has this sort of philosophy of like, you know, almost absurdism or or of this sort of like, you know. There's there's this sort of uh, one of the the book's running jokes is that anytime like someone dies just horribly or like a like there's the bombing or just like something every time something horrible happens, it'll just say so it goes. Uh, you know, and that is is ultimately, I think, what the what the book is kind of about, or is it is a, it is a rejection of war, it is a rejection of of cruelty, but it is also about the way that we exist in a world with those things, mm. um, and existing in a world with those things by uh, essentially contending ourselves with having li- little to no power over anything, um, and also it is an exploration of whether or not that's a good way to deal with it. It's a good book. Uh, you should read it. And if you, like me, or like Alex, haven't read it in a while, you should reread it. Uh, it holds up. Maybe I will. Uh, so, uh, I get to pick what we're watching next month. Oh, you do. Uh, so, we are next month. So, this around this time last year, we watched Night is Short, Walk On Girl. Uh, which is a movie that I loved, and then we went down a sort of rabbit hole of uh, me coming to love the works of Tomihiko Morimi and Alex learning to hate them. It, it was it was a wild time. Yeah, it was it was a wild time that culminated in in the last time that I felt nervous while recording this podcast. Uh, and so now I feel like we should watch something. So we we watched both Nettie Short Walk on Girl and the Tatami Galaxy, which are both uh, collaborations between Tomihika Marimi, who wrote the books that those uh, that movie and, and TV show are based on, and all and Masaki Yuasa, who was the animation director. And so I figured we should watch some stuff that Yuasa directed, but did but Tomihika Marimi uh, was not involved in, which is why we are going to watch Ping Pong the Animation. Oh, okay. Um, so I've been wanting to watch this for a while. I, I've known of it. Mostly in that the idea of there being an, an anime about ping pong is funny. <laughs> um, but uh, I will also be honest, and I will not say what it is, 
but I will say that uh, I'm choosing this anime specifically because of the book that I want to recommend at the end of the episode. <laughs> uh, because I have a great relevant recommendation. Um, Excellent. So yes, yeah, so that's what we'll be, we'll be watching is... Uh, I know it's directed by Masaki Masa, but we got to bring up the article. Wait, so yeah, so that's what we'll be watching next month. We'll be watching Ping Pong, the animation... Uh, which is directed by Masaki Yuasa and, and also written by Masaki Yuasa and based on the manga by Tayo Matsumoto. Uh, Alex, where can people find you on the internet? Online? You can find me, well, on Twitter at DunDunDun, uh, on Mastodon, uh, Catalina at Selfie.Army, Selfie with a Y. Uh, I sometimes stream on twitch.tv slash miss underscore input. I sometimes stream on trash.cloud. I sometimes stream on dios.bimbo.systems. Uh, just kind of uh, check all of those on. every night and, and hope. Give them all open constantly. <laughs> Get three extra monitors to, ha- to put up in your house to have those on them at all times. What about you, Kaz? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Prophet underscore Goddess. You can find me on Mastodon at Prophet underscore Goddess at Skeleton dot cool. Uh, you can buy video games that I've made at ProfitGoddess.itch.io, no underscore. Uh, and you can watch me stream at Twitch.tv slash Prophet underscore Goddess. And uh, you can find the show on Twitter at Animes for Jerks. You can find the uh, show on Mastodon at Animes for Jerks at skeleton.cool uh, you can email us your thoughts on this show or this episode or the next episode or anything at all uh, at animeisforjerks at gmail.com we got zero emails this episode I just checked Shameful. to make sure yeah send us, send us emails send us tweets, send us anything about the shows that we watch or about questions about the episodes questions about the shows, comments about the shows uh videos of you playing ping pong I suggest that people send in videos of us crying videos of them crying for this episode uh, <laughs> right uh, yeah let's, 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 let's really uh, give the show the respect it deserves and do a super cut of everyone's reaction to the scene where Sitsuko yeah. dies uh, oh no not a reaction just, just you crying it doesn't even have to be at the movie oh okay just you crying oh, okay. um so yeah, I don't know. Make it, send yourself send in a picture of yourself making a weird face and holding a ping pong paddle. Uh, Sounds good. I played a lot of ping pong. I played, yeah, really? I, yeah, I played a lot of uh, ping pong. I haven't played. I played a little bit. I, I'm terrible at it. So we had uh, we didn't have a ping pong table, but we did have a large dining room table with a net on it in our basement. <laughs> um, Excellent. That literally. All the just all the time, me and my my best friend growing up would play ping pong on it, and we actually I wonder if I can still find this because I maintained for a very long time a spreadsheet featuring all of our both of our scores and who Holy won and who shit. lost every game. Um, That's incredible. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I can find it, but uh, <laughs> just like I can't find the my ripped copy of Frigga in Space. God, Frigga in Space. These 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 masterpieces of history. I've got I've got a, a tend read so that I can go into the fucking <laughs> library and find that. I can just probably ask a librarian to like, or I could probably just go get, have them make it make a digital copy. 
I'm an alum. I yeah. can wield my. I, I need something very important. I need for my alum space. entitlement. Hey, look! It's 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 lockdown. They probably have nothing to, to do. <laughs> you have nothing better to do than find for. I'm doing them a favor by a taking some of the tedium out of their workday and b introducing them to Frag the remarkable historical object that is the. Th- uh, theatrical production of Frega in Space. If you don't know, uh, if you don't understand the joke about Frega in Space, uh, just Google Gottlob Frega uh, and then combine that with your existing knowledge about space. <laughs> that, that, yeah, that won't really explain much, but it'll tell you as much as either of us know. You'll know why, why it's funny happened. that Frega is in space, at the very least. <laughs> Uh, anyway, thanks everybody for listening. We'll Thank you very much. Next month. And remember, good night. The map is not the territory. <laughs> <laughs>